Bless me, Red, for I have sinned. I watched Morbius and Electra twice this week. <laughs> and I called myself a cinephile in our text thread. What's my penance? Uh, your penance <laughs> is 10 screenings of Alejandro Jodorowsky films. <laughs> Perfect. That'll that'll zap the Morbius out of me. <laughs> Yodorowsky's uh, Morbius. Now there's a movie I want to see. Oh, I would watch that. Uh, friends and listeners, you have watched Skip Plus. As you can tell from the intro, I think you might know what we're reviewing, but we are a movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist. Each week we review a new streaming or theatrical movie. And then before that, each of the hosts or any guests will have what's called a plus. It is our thing. It's something that stuck with us since the last recording. It can be anything. It can be a television show, a bonus review. I talked about makeup, uh, read loves wrestling and there are other pluses as well yeah. um but uh i am joined by my co-host red who who you heard him before justin the cinemasochist also known as justin the red i am cupcake jose also known as machine gun jelly red how are you <laughs> i am doing very very well uh i did not watch morbius or Electra at all this week i'm trying to think if i did I almost watched a Lifetime movie, though, so I can't say I'm a cinephile either. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. There's there's a guilty pleasure to some of those, you know, like the Kristen Edwards story, How I Escaped the Dungeon. You know, those things, they're fun. Yeah. The Lifetime movies are kind of they, fun. They can be great to watch with the crowd or like over a stream just to, I remember one of the Hocking Hills camping trips we did with uh, years ago with the, NO, the Night of Living podcast crew and some GGTMC, a lot of crossover. I can't for the life of me remember what the movie title is now, but it basically it was around, I think it was like a dentist or a doctor was, you know, put, when he put his patients under, you know, was, you know, raping them. And Ew. what was, for the most part, it's a pretty generic, drama but what ended up being unintentionally funny was when they sent one of their cops undercover the other one that was kind of watching like they wanted to catch the doctor in the act so they had it on film and clearly the doctor was going at this woman but he kept going hold on hold on like holding his crew off and we're all laughing like dude let him in like what are you oh you my get, god you're getting off to this you freak like you have enough evidence now yeah and speaking of freaks, we are reviewing The <laughs> Nun 2, nice. which is either the eighth or the ninth in the Conjuring universe. We will get to that. The Conjuring connected universe, sort of like a horror version of the Marvel MCU. Um, that's going to be quite yeah. interesting. Featuring Valak, the cross-dressing slash Marilyn Manson none habit wearing demon <laughs> i did not know the character actually had a name considering imdb just calls it her the demon nun also i was about yes. to say what do you mean maybe ninth but then I, I think i know what movie you're referencing that i never watched that may or may not be part of the franchise so we are definitely going to get to that and surprisingly there is another film as well but before that we have some pluses red well, it's fitting that we're we're going to be covering a horror film, the horror MCU, if you will, because my plus this week is all about vanquishing evil. Folks, the evil is gone. The horrible, atrocious, malignant, awful, 
awful, awful, awful, awful, terrible quote video that they do before Regal that we have plussed on the show before and complained about our good friend E.F. Contentment. Uh, it is gone. Uh, hopefully it is gone for good. It sounds like it. Uh, I saw some memes online and then I noticed, well, I couldn't count my Equalizer 3 screening because I like walked in right as the movie was starting. Uh, I I was originally going to come for a later showing, and I realized I, I arrived at the theater just in time where the previews for the prior showing were ending. Uh, but I can confirm with my screening of The Nun 2, as well as Bottoms and the Monday Mystery movie, which also, I actually liked one of these for once. Uh, uh, was It lives inside, which, without going too much detail on The Nun 2, I liked as a horror movie better, but I digress. Wait, 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 no, wait, wait. hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before I, before I start giggling like a child, I'm sorry, you saw... It lives inside and bottoms. Yeah, these were yeah. actual films, not photos. Yeah. yeah, they were. Uh, I should have. I probably should have flipped them. Obviously, you know, because you can combine them. Because if it lives inside your bottom, you know, that's how it gets you. Uh, like Dreamcatcher, like the butt aliens or the yeah, butt a, demons or whatever. Uh, <laughs> sh- what was it? Chick Gremlin or Shit Weasel? Shit Weasel. Shit Weasels. Uh, yes, that was what it was. Can never forget <laughs> Morgan Freeman enthusiastically saying "Shit Weasel." Um, yeah. Anyway, yes, sorry that, to interrupt. <laughs> that's okay. Bottoms is uh just on the that front terrific uh high school comedy social satire with the wonderful Rachel Senat who stars in it, but also co-writes. Uh and then it Excellent. lives inside is a, a pretty unique, well, not too unique. It's a pretty generic supernatural horror thriller, but it has uh a Hinduism bent to it, and that gives Ooh. it a fresh feeling. And I also just like the character. So uh, definitely worth checking out once that hits theaters. But yes, before all of these screenings, folks, it did not appear that horrible, atrocious quotes video where it's like, I got that going for me, which is nice. Which, by which the way, is nice. I had Caddyshack on in the background the other week, and I normally don't say anything can ruin something. They ruined that movie because I automatically thought of their horrible quotes video when that scene appeared, and they also butchered bill murray's delivery of it because he doesn't say it as smug as they do in the uh, yeah I, we listen you can go back to our uh our missing episode i believe when uh ef contentment was yes. on because we trashed it but yes it is gone i've seen on subreddits and facebook other people have not seen it i am hoping this is for good right now they've just replaced it at my theater with a very generic pepsi ad uh like oh you can get pepsi at our theater it's like very quick i'm just i'm I did a backflip. I didn't really. If I could have, though, I would have. I'm just not that agile. I I am so stoked. And also, I don't know if it was just for this reason, but I almost missed the opening of Equalizer 3 because I was timing these. And Regal usually is like 20 to 25 minutes now with their pre-show. So if your movie starts at 6, it ain't starting until like 6.20 at the earliest. Equalizer 3 started not much earlier, but 18 minutes before after its Ooh. timing. And then the nun, I looked at my uh, clock. Uh, it started 13 minutes. They didn't show that many, uh, like two trailers and that's it. So I don't know if this is just freak occurrences. I mean, I know that quote video felt like a token eternity. I'm pretty sure it was only a minute long, but hey, maybe. Yeah, we're- so friends and listeners, if if you don't know what we're speaking about, um, I, I believe the official title is great movie lines live here. Um, and it was a, a series of movie quotes spouted by uh, regal attendees. Um, and it was, some of it was just painful. They somehow got Danny Trejo to be in it as well. And uh, it, it was just, it was obnoxious and it was 
Um, somehow I didn't think it could get any worse than the sort of digital roller coaster thing where they're like, now entering, rec- oh, you know, and they had like that or whatever. Damn, I love that digital roller coaster. Uh, and they I, still show yeah. it at mine. It doesn't, uh, it didn't show. It got at my place, at my theaters, it was replaced by the great movie lines one. But every time I used to watch that, so there is like an Asian guy who has like long hair and um, he says, he says something like, oh, I miss your musk or something like that. <sighs> but, you know, literally you guys like, first of all, that Asian man should not have hair that long. It's very thin and fine, just like mine. And that is how my hair used to look like when I grew it out. And finally, two people came up to me and said, you look like a serial killer. And from that <laughs> point on, it was buzzed from now on. But uh, I yes. I was going to say, I had something similar. I tried doing uh, the slick back hair look. Uh, at the time, it was because I was a big CM Punk fan. I mean, as a wrestler, I guess I still am. But this was like 2010, 2011. And somebody had said I looked like Brad Pitt in California. And of course, I was like, hey, I heard Brad Pitt. And I was like, well, he was a serial killer in California. I'm like, listen, I heard Brad and you're Pitt. Like, it's gone. <laughs> right. But it was gone. No, I did not. Slick back hair did not work with me. Yes. Rest in peace. Great movie lines live here. We will not miss you. Yeah. Rest in um, pieces. You know. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Uh, the the tweet that you sent me on from X was something like, "This is not enough. The people, all the people involved <laughs> in this, should go to prison or something." Yeah, it's like, like burn yeah. in hell or something. Cinematic <laughs> yeah. hell. Which I know we tried defending them. Like I'm sure the person who made it was a young filmmaker. And if we only saw this once or twice, I probably wouldn't be as bothered by it. But this has to be the longest outside of something like that digital roller coaster that they've kept. Cause they used to, when they were partnered with Coca-Cola, they did like, you know, Coca-Cola has, you know, film students making little videos, but they would shuffle those out yeah. like every few weeks, this well over a year, if not yes. longer, this is, I think ever since like 22, at least since 2021, I'd say, cause I think I remember seeing this with you guys, when we saw X and the outfit, maybe not that early, but around that time, definitely yeah. as theaters really started to open up, uh, just I'm so happy. They, should, it's they all- need to t- no, they need to choose wisely for the next one. Yeah, because you can't really avoid it. It's what they play after the trailers, right before the movie starts. So Yeah. <sighs> okay, so uh I'm gonna do the Misaki and I'm going to do a little bit of a double plus. Okay. Um, I will preface this first first plus by saying Every one of our listeners and subscribers is a super fan, and especially the ones that interact with us on social media. I'm not on the book of faces, uh, but I know that Red is is often, you know, uh, people will see comments about our humble little podcast. And so I wanted to just say that, you know, everybody is a super fan, but I want to just mention these two because I failed to mention them on our anniversary episode, which sort of the vibe extended through other episodes as well. But... First of all, Mike Wilden, Wilden Beast. The reason why I'm saying he's also a super fan is because uh, I he was one of the people that I I believe I had spoken to before we started the podcast, and he was very very enthusiastic about it, and has always been an enthusiastic supporter of us, and will mention things in comments when somebody else talks about something uh, about our show, and just really sort of is our cheerleader. And so I wanted to mention uh, the wildebeest. Mike Wilden is one of our super fans. And then I hope she's listening. I'm going to, I'm going to guess that she is, but somebody who almost 
is always the first to like a watch skip plus post on Instagram is somebody named Louise Gardner 46. Judging from what she posts and from her bio, her bio says uh, 19, 1990. And then there's a horoscope symbol. I'm probably going to butcher it. I don't know which one that is that she has, but it says hashtag LGBTQ film and movies, poetry, art, artist, horror, lover with a black heart. But she is clearly one of our tribe. If you look at some of her posts, she puts these wonderful sort of like uh, image stills from movies that she loves with quotes um, and then mention stuff about it. So she, again, clearly part of our tribe, but I can't believe I failed to mention her on our, our happy one year anniversary because consistently she is literally one of the first to like our posts. So Louise Gardner, 46, we see you and we love you. And uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe you can come on and be a guest, pick a movie, come on and we'll, we'll get to know Louise Gardner, 86. But yeah, I just wanted to do that shout out. Do not kick yourself. I, I know at least with the wildebeest, he always feels the love. And I always feel love from him because on all of our platforms, but especially Facebook, he's somebody like you. I just, he's within our community. So I've been friends with him for a while. And when we were talking about this, he was supportive and he's always chatting, you know, me up regardless. But what's also very sweet is sometimes if there's a post elsewhere, or if somebody is talking like, let's say Gran Turismo or something like that, if he starts talking about that whole name drop us, I'm like, Hey, by the way, these guys did a great show and he doesn't have to do that. Yeah. It's always a sweet yeah. thing. And I just love talking to him. And we also, on top of getting Luis Gardner on here, we, we need to get the world of beast on the main show. I know he did the, uh, the con, or was it con? No, sorry, con. Uh, uh, Sundance. Sundance. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, you know, we well, need to. We need yeah. to do con apparently next, but yes, uh, Sundance. He did. Um, <laughs> he did the the bonus episode on that. But we need to have him on on proper. I know he's a big fan of the the X Screen X experience. I think 40X is the same thing at Regal. Uh, he said that was part of the reason why he kind of liked Gran Turismo. <laughs> and apparently, yes. the Nun Two has a 40X in a Screen X screening that uh, another good super fan Shane brought up, and then I was on. Actually, I bet that was awesome. Yeah, I, it, I it's bet funny. that was awesome. <laughs> because when Shane brought that up, he goes, for some reason, this one has that. And then like a couple days later on the Regal Unlimited subreddit, somebody oh, had said, nice. oh, the Nun 2 and 40X was amazing. So I took a photo of it and tagged Mike and I said, was this you? Did you see it? He goes, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, my second part of my plus is... I'm not a big uh, Microsoft browser I, I, person, internet browser person. I, I tend to use, I use something called, um, I think it's called Brave. On Microsoft Start, which puts up these little like uh, news blips from around the world. Two days ago, Maria Paul wrote a story for the Washington Post and the title, the headline goes, a yoga class in corpse pose was mistaken for a ritual mass killing. And so as the, so as the story goes in Lincolnshire, England, there was a cafe called the seascape cafe in the North sea observatory building. If anybody is familiar with that, maybe Kevin can let us know if he's been there. Um, but apparently in this cafe, they were doing a, a yoga session and, um, if anybody's ever been to yoga, you know that typically there's a relaxation pose at the end, and there is something called corpse pose, where you basically lie on your back like a corpse. And um, apparently a couple had walked by and had seen someone walking around with a candle talking, but there was all these people laying on the floor, and they reported <laughs> it to the police as some sort of mass killing. 
which of course, you know, I mean, red, red is laughing. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing too. And you think to yourself, wow, that's, that's kind of ridiculous, ridiculous. Well, I have a story. So in 1990, I started working at the historic movie theater in Baltimore called the Senator Theater. It's now under new management, a new owner. That's a whole story in its own right. But uh, so I was an usher. And uh, the first movie I believe that was playing when I started was The Hunt for Red October. I still actually have the pin for it with the with the little date on it. Um, and so the thing about the historic Senator Theater is that they will play films that are like a lot of the movies today in excess of two hours and 15 minutes. And so when you have like an eight o'clock showing or even an 830 showing, you know, we're at a skeleton crew and there's hardly anybody there and there's hardly really much to do because we end up cleaning and all that stuff. So me and, uh, you know, obviously the staff, we had all bonded over our love of movies and we got into the habit of just sort of lying down on the floor <laughs> um, and just kind of like chilling and talking just to take a load off, right? There really were no seats or anything like that. Um, there were seats in the bathroom, but we couldn't just go into the bathroom and sit down because we had to tend to whoever was coming out. And so sure enough, one night we were all kind of like laying on the ground and just talking and laughing or whatever. And suddenly these two cops just come flying into the lobby and they've got their guns drawn. And I look up and I was just frozen. I just, I saw cute cop gun. Right. And I'm just like, uh, and they're like, where are they? Where are they holding people up? Are you the only hostages? And we all like sat up like, <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? And sure enough, a couple had walked by the front of the Senator Theater, had looked in the glass windows and had seen us lying on the ground and was, they called the police, thank God, and said, hey, I think this Senator's being robbed. <laughs> and then sure enough, like we sat up and we're like, no, 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 wait. And the manager came out and was like, what's going on? And it was so funny because the one officer was like, what? Like his shoulders shrug. He puts his gun down. He puts it back in the holster. He grabs his radio and he says, cancel that call. It was just employees napping and then walked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is so, amazing. Anyway, that was story time with Cupcake. But, I, uh, I kind of hope people. That it's the same couple, like they were on vacation in you know this year. It's just yes. like every couple of years this happens where they're just they're trying to do their best and help people out, but they always misconstrue whatever social exactly. situation they're seeing. That's that sounds like a great uh comedy short series for YouTube. <laughs> you and I should write that series. Yeah, we uh, should. Also, I love the fact that the first movie that you can recall showing at the center was the hunt for red October. It all comes yeah. back to red, it's full circle. Yeah, again. baby. And I also tried to learn Russian, which during the pandemic, which I, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so that brings <laughs> us to our movie proper, which is The Nun 2. Uh, this is, again, the eighth or the ninth, and we'll sort of get to that later, about the uh, film in the Connected Conjuring series. The first film was released in 2013, and the subsequent sequels are based on the files of real-life paranormal investigator and psychic couple Lorraine and Ed Warren. Now, our good friend Randy from the GGTMC, who's also my neighbor, would often talk about how these two, the Warrens, are very, very controversial just in regards to whether they are truly authentic or just 
dressed up carny fortune tellers ripping people off, but we won't go there. Uh, so the, the nun, uh, the conjuring series has spun off the demonic possessed doll series, Annabelle. So there are actually three films with that, the prequel movie, the nun. And then of course our movie, the nun two, which we are reviewing. I'll start below the line. Our director is Michael Chavez. I thought it was Chavez, but apparently it's Chavez. Uh, he is no stranger to the Conjuring universe. Chavez's directorial debut was the horror film The Curse of La Llorona, based on La 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 Llorona. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You're getting I was thinking that I love when, it. I always think of that when I do that. I think that's another bingo card if we sing, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So La U- The Curse of La Llorona is based on a Mexican and Central American folktale about a crying specter of a ghost who mourns the children she has drowned in a jealous rage after discovering her husband was cheating on her. Now, that film is, in fact, the controversial film as to whether it's part of the Conjuring universe or not. Now, it only its only connection is a priest character from the Annabelle film who shows up in The Curse of La Llorona. The reason why I think it's not part of the Conjuring universe is precisely because Chavez himself has gone on record, if you Google this, at the time of the release to say it is not part of the Conjuring universe. Um, And even though it features a character from the Annabelle film, his point of contention is that the CU, as we're going to call it, the Conjuring universe, has a very specific pair of producers who I will get to. And that one super producer was not part of La Llorona. Um, Curiously, I was just going to say, this kind of sounds like a Jackie Brown out of sight connection where they're, I guess, in the same universe, but obviously wouldn't be part of like Quentin Tarantino's filmography or that potential shared universe. But save for the fact that there is a character played by the same actor featured in both films. Now, curiously enough, John R. Leonetti, who's a favorite DP weapon of choice for James Wan and his former screenwriting partner, Lee Wanell, they both wrote a tiny little film called Saw together. Uh, But John Leonetti, who was the DP for The Conjuring uh, movies, he directed a film called Wolves at the Door. Curiously enough, I also reviewed this on the GGTMC with Samurai. It was sort of like a nonsense, violent retelling of the Manson murders involving Sharon Tate. But strangely, just like La Llorona, it features the police detective character from Annabelle. So Hmm. uh, La Llorona and Wolves at the Door can be considered Conjuring Universe adjacent films. Um, So anyway, Chavez would later direct the third Conjuring movie, The Devil Made Me Do It, which was released day and date on HBO Max in 2021 as part of the notorious Project Popcorn, a result of and shook up the movie industry post-pandemic. Prior to all these films on his resume of horror, Chavez was a visual effects artist and consultant on shorts and a series of shorts entitled The Guild, which I've never seen. Apparently, it's about a guild of video gamers. This stars Felicia Day, who many of you know um, from characters she's played on Supernatural. But he's also directed shorts and a very lauded, praised horror short called The Maiden in 2016. And he created and directed the year prior a Nickelodeon web series called Chase Champion. Uh, he's also directed a music video for Billie Eilish, 
called Barry a Friend, which apparently has some horror elements. She's underneath her ex-boyfriend's bed singing this song. I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I do like Billie Eilish, but I have not seen this video. Um, our writers, plural. So there is a story by and screenwriting credit by Akila Cooper. She bursts on the scene with, with the James Wan-directed bonkers horror film Malignant, which is kind of divisive in our community. I happen to have loved it. I, I've seen it like three times. I, I dig it. She's I really dig it too. Yeah, she's one of the credited writers on this. And if you want to check check her out or know more about her, you can check episode 23, Megan, because she also wrote that oh. um, movie, which was also another James Wan-produced horror film. Uh, on that episode, Death by DVD guested on that episode. It was a hoot. It was a hoot. People, go back and listen. It's, it's fun. Additionally, the film has a screenwriting pair uh, credit who by all accounts came in and appeared to have reworked Cooper's original script for The Nun 2. I'm talking about Ian Goldberg and Richard Nang. This pair is best known for the outstanding horror films that they have scripted, Eli, which has streamed on Netflix and sits unwatched on my gigantic watch list, and The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which was directed by André Ouvredal, who directed this year's horror release, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, cough, episode 52, cough. Um, Goldberg is an interesting bloke. He started in television writing scripts, notably the genre-esque shows Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Once Upon a Time. He is also the writer and creator of the Freeform series Dead of Summer and Krypton, which lasted only one season on sci-fi, but was actually rather cool. It was a prequel series about life on Kal-El, Superman, if you will, his planet before Kal-El was even born. Um, had a great production design, a very sexy cast. I'm sad it actually died after one season. Anyway, the duo have also written for and show ran the later seasons of AMC's Fear of the Walking Dead controversial opinion people i found fear the walking dead which recently is heading into its last season b of eight seasons and then ending but i found that show to be better and tighter than the flag flagship walking dead series almost as if you know robert kirk kirkman and at all they learned from their mistakes in making the main show and they made fear the walking dead much better and tighter and better acted. <laughs> Again, controversial opinion. Our notable producers, James Wan, the aforementioned force of directorial nature, his production company, Atomic Monster, is behind this film. Incidentally, that company recently merged with Bloomhouse to make horror and genre films, although they're still retaining their nominal identity titles. Uh, we have mentioned Juan in detail on the Megan episode, which I mentioned before, but he's also cropped up in episode 47 when we talked about Insidious, The Red Door, which was the fifth film in the Insidious universe, which Juan and Lee Whannell, who we also talked about just recently, um, were behind. Curiously enough, Patrick Wilson who plays Ed Warren in The Conjuring films, was also in the Insidious movies and ended up in Aquaman, which was directed by James Wan. So I have these weird fantasies about like Patrick Wilson having an interest in like Asian men, which I know is not true. He's married to a woman. They have kids, uh, he, but he still could, you know, he, he could, could, but you know, he's 
super dreamy and has one of the best anus rappers in Hollywood. Trust me, Uh, I've had fantasies about him being just interested in me. So, mm, you know. Patrick Wilson, come sit at our table. Um, Our other producer, notable producer, is Peter Safran. And this is the producer who was missing from La Llorona, which is Chavez's argument that it's not in the Conjuring universe. You should all know Peter Safran's name because currently he and James Gunn are redirecting, rebooting, re-hoping for a miracle, resetting the DCEU. He is British-born, legally trained with a JD from New York Law School. And you can check out episode 32, where we discussed his background and producing prowess on Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Also, he's really sexy, so Google him. Uh, Our music is by Marco Beltrami. He's one of the best and frequently used composers for horror and genre films, best known for composing the scores for the Scream films and several Wes Craven movies. Jean-Francois Richet's Mezrine films, which Sammy uh, from the GGTMC highly recommends. Those star Vincent Cassell and Love and Monsters, which is something, which is a movie that Not a Bomb is absolutely in love with, and rightfully so. It's fun. Beltrami, Beltrami has 149 composer credits. We mentioned him on episode 36, Renfield. Oh, Renfield. Renfield, Bring which also... Nuns. Which Young had children. Sammy of the GGTMC. Look at all of this Correct. just coming. Look at circle. all of this. We are we are carrying on the happy anniversary theme, actually. <laughs> Our DP is a gentleman named Tristan Nyby. Not a lot of information about this cool cat, but based on the photography for this film, which I'll get into in my spoiler-free review, he's most certainly going to be somebody I wa- I'm going to be watching. Apparently, he's the grandson of Christian Nyby, who quite literally may be one of the best and most famous television series directors of all time. But just a little background on Christian Nyby. He started as an editor for Howard Hawks films in the 40s and was Academy Award nominated for editing Hawks' Red River. And he would eventually come to direct The Thing from Another Planet, which apparently has a controversy a la Toby Hooper and Spielberg with Poltergeist, as in... Some theorize that Hawks directed the film, but didn't want his name associated with genre and sci-fi at the time. So allegedly, since Nyby was the editor and on set the entire time, he just gave Nyby the director credit, which is sort of weird. But Hmm. eventually after that, Nyby, he would go on to basically direct any big name television show you can think of in the 60s and 70s. Gunsmoke, Rawhide, I Spy, The Fugitive, Emergency, Adam 12, Lassie, $6 million man. The guy is a television legend. But anyway, Nyby, Tristan Nyby, the grandson, and Chavez know each other because they collaborated on Chase Champion and the Maiden Short I referenced before, which won the 2016 Best Super Short Horror Award at the Shriek Fest. And Nyby was the DP for the Bury a Friend music video. Now, Nyby has a lot of short credits, including something called Tom Clancy's The Pledge, which stars John Bernthal. I don't know. It's like a three-minute short, but, you know, damn if I wouldn't give my left arm for three minutes with John Bernthal. But he's also (laughs) the DP for another Billie Eilish video, Happier Than Ever, and 2020's The Dark and the Wicked, which, again, is yet another unwatched netflix movie that's on my netflix watch list that stars marin ireland who i frequently conflate with actress taylor Schilling. i don't know maybe they should play sisters or twin killers or showgirls or something i don't know anyway 
Last shout out, our production designer is Stéphane Croissant. He is a French artist who has worked in the art department for some great films for the French side of production. These films include The Tourist, Hugo, Dunkirk, Ford versus Ferrari. In addition to countless French films and series, he was also the art director for domestic releases like Stillwater, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, and two Wes Anderson films, The French Dispatch and Asteroid City. Cough, episode 45, cough. Um, he has six official production credits to his name or his resume. Again, mostly French films and series. The most famous domestic release would probably be Julian Schnabel's At Eternity's Gate, starring Willem Dafoe, and then, of course, this film. So, Red, over to you with the cast for The Nun 2. All right. And since this is a sequel, we do have a couple of cast members returning from the first film, starting with Bonnie Aarons returning as the titular nun. Uh, for, what was the name? that? What is the proper name again, Jose? Valak. Valak. The demon that, Valak. The demon Valak. Yeah, I'm to be just calls her the demon nun, but I don't know. Valak does sound better. Uh, you will have recognized her. She pops up a lot, sometimes in just very small roles uh, in films such as Exit to Eden, Cage Teeth 3000, <laughs> Dear God, appropriately enough. Uh, she, <laughs> I think, is most notable for portraying the bomb in Mulholland Drive, and you wouldn't recognize her because I believe that she was portraying a, a male bum in that. Uh, she was in The Princess Diaries, Shallow Hal, I Know Who Killed Me, which starred Lindsay Lohan, who and I know that our lovely co-host Jose is a big fan of. I she- love that movie so much. And Bonnie Aaron's she plays a stripper manager, a strip club manager named Fat Tina. And she has probably one of the best lines in the movie where she just deadpans, looks into the camera and says, if your ID says you're 18, you're fucking 18 to me. <laughs> <laughs> she unfortunately does not have any dialogue in these movies. I would yes. love to have seen the nun or Kalich or whatever the name, Valak, uh, state that at one point yeah. in this movie. Uh, <laughs> she's also appeared in Hell Ride, Drag Me to Hell. There's a double feature for you. Valentine's Day with a fighter in Silver Linings Playbook. Returning as Irene is Thaisa Farmiga. She is the younger sister of Vera Farmiga, uh, though I think they are like 29 years apart in age. So I, yeah. I think like a lot of people mistook her for the do- her daughter at first. But now yes. they're siblings. Uh, her first appearance would actually be a very small role in a Vera Farmiga vehicle, Higher Ground. She would then go on to star in The Bling Ring, The Final Girls, In a Valley of Violence, Rules Don't Apply, The Long Dumb Road, The Mule. She would voice the character of Raven in various Teen Titan animated projects. Uh, Usually those are the straight-to-video animated films. Uh, And she has recurring uh, roles on series such as American Horror Story, The Gilded Age, and Wicked City. Returning, and maybe this is a spoiler, but I don't care. Uh, Returning as Maurice, a.k.a. Frenchie, is... Jonas Bloquet, I believe it's Bloquet. Maybe it's Blockhead. Yeah. I don't know. Bloquet. No, <laughs> it's Bloquet. <laughs> yes. Uh, he is mostly known for a lot of Belgium productions, obviously, as well as playing Frenchie in the first nun film. He's also appeared in The Family, Three Days to Kill, Valerian, and The City of a Thousand Planets, which Not a Bomb just did a terrific episode on. Oh, German- yeah, they did. And he did series work such as Germinal, 1899, and the miniseries adaptation of Marie Antoinette. 
joining. He's also gorgeous. Oh, I, I, I <laughs> forgot to write it down, but I was like, if Jose doesn't tell me he's gorgeous, which he is, but if Jose doesn't think he's gorgeous, the show might get canceled. Yeah. <laughs> joining the cast uh, as a young, I guess you could say, not in training. Uh, Deborah is Storm Reed, and you can listen to our missing episode, which we referenced earlier because Eve Contentment was on there, as was. Uh, the horrible, horrible, horrible quotes video, which I don't <laughs> care to give its actual name, but she was in that. So go ahead and listen there. Portraying Kate, who is a teacher at the uh, Catholic school, is Anna Popplewell. Love that name. Uh, she's most known stateside for portraying Susan Pevensey. I probably butcher that name in all the Chronicles of Narnia film adaptations. Uh, yeah. She was also in The Little Vampire, which I actually do remember seeing and kind of liking that had uh, Jonathan Lipnicki coming off like Jerry Maguire fame. Thunderpants, <laughs> which I don't oh. think I saw, but I'm pretty sure that is Rupert Grint, I think maybe, maybe not. Yes. Uh, Mans- also maybe Ron Perlman. Uh, Mansfield Park, Girl with a Pearl Earring, and the series Rain, as well as a voice role in Halo 4. Playing her daughter, Sophie, is Caitlin Rose Downing. Uh, this is only her third project. Her other two are the Hulu-produced film, The Princess, and Clean S- the series Clean Sweep. Uh, and also, I just want to shout out The Princess stars uh, Joey King. And the reason I'm bringing that up is the when I saw the first The Nun, I saw it at a drive-in double feature with Slenderman, which saw starred Joey King. So weirdly, this is coming full circle. I almost felt like I should have been watching a Slenderman movie again after this. And actually, uh, there's even another connection. John Leonetti, who was the DP and he directed The Wolves at the Door, um, he directed a film called Wish Upon, which I think starred yep, Joey Yep, it King. did. As well as uh, Ryan Felipe. The only real reason to see that is Felipe uh, dumpster diving. And it was just so weirdly. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it was a bizarre movie. Uh, and then two more shout outs. Uh, they don't have the biggest of roles here, but they're pretty notable character actors. Suzanne Burtish is Madame Laurent. She actually was in our Magic Mike's Last Dance episode. Very small role, so we didn't shout her out there. Oh. Uh, starting all the way back with Hanover Street, The Hunger, which we have referenced quite a few times on the show, The Comedy of Errors, Hearts of Fire, The Monk, which I only included because, hey, she loves doing religious films. <laughs> the 13th- She's in The Monk, now the Nun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Next up is uh, The Rabbi. Uh- <laughs> the Bishop. The Bishop. Ooh, the Bishop. Uh, she was in The 13th War, another film that Not a Bomb did a great episode on. The Upside of Anger, The Toy Box, The Wife, Benediction, and then recent series adaptation of Dead Ringers, as well as Sex Education, Mercy Street, Rome, and Shine on Harvey Moon. And then lastly, portraying Father Ridley as Peter Hudson. I'm only going to shout out a couple of the more stateside roles that people would recognize him in. Those being Prelude to a Kiss or Prelude to a Kiss, Lockout, Valerian, to give that another shout out. Ah, the Family. Yeah. So he also worked with Jonas Bloquet before. Uh, Jackie, The Last Duel, which, you know, we they had the connection there, as well as series work, uh, Cousin Williams, Home to Rent, Highlander, and Grand Star. So, so kind- uh, before. Well, before before we get to your spoiler free, I just wanted to also mention one thing. Joey King was in Bullet Train. Oh, that's right. A very How did I forget about that? I can't believe I didn't even think to bring that up. Wow. Again, everything comes full circle. It does. Just just like it's all going to come full circle, maybe for the Conjuring universe here with the Nun 2. Uh, So my spoiler free thoughts. 
Uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, when I saw this years ago, when it came out, I saw it as a double feature with Slender Man. And I think that softened the blow with the first nun for me, because when that movie ended, I came away. I didn't hate it like a lot of people did, but I thought it looked really good. There were some nice set pieces, and I, I always loved Thaisa Formiga, but it was a pretty dreary, bland, run-of-the-mill type you know, horror film. But then maybe less than two hours later, I finished Slender Man, which I fucking hated. So I was like, oh, you know what? The God. Nun looks kind of good in comparison. Uh, <laughs> now, The Nun 2 didn't have that safety net of another Slender Man or a table movie after it. It was the only thing I saw on Thursday night. And I can say I thought it was a slight improvement in some ways over the first Nun film. But I still think overall, it's just a pretty run-of-the-mill experience. Where I think this one, and it's arguable if it does it better... But the biggest criticism, I think, against that first non movie was that it was boring. There's a lot of drawn out sequences building up the the, the titular Valak uh, and just setting up, you know, the Catholic faith and everything. And that was really like as great as that film looked at a great gothic, almost hammer feel to it. It dragged. And while this film is nearly two hours and it is still too long, it doesn't necessarily drag because they took that criticism to heart. And I don't think 10 minutes, maybe even five go by without some form of scare happening. Jump scare, seeing something in the background, setting something up. And if I was reviewing is structurally, the first one is much more structurally sound, but this one doesn't really give you enough time to ever get bored, even if there are flashbacks that definitely threaten to do so. Yeah. Uh, but I just I think the the issue here is just, it's just feels like more of the same. There are some great set pieces in this. I, I do want to say that while I did like some of the gothic atmosphere more in the first one, this is no has no shortage of great atmosphere that's one thing this series is consistent with even the annabelle films so uh, there's a great uh piece where uh taisa formiga sees uh, like a magazine rack stand and as the pages all flip uh in due to the wind they start making like these creepy looking smiles admittedly the scene goes on a little bit too long but you're waiting for when does it turn into the nun and i thought that was really well done i was like I kind of wanted more unique set pieces like that. Uh, another thing that's kind of unique here, and I can't remember if they did it in the, the prior nun film, to my knowledge, they did not. But every time a character, especially like the young kids, they see the nun and then like maybe somebody calls their name and, you know, Valak has to disappear. It leaves like an imprint. So if it's on the wall, you see an imprint of, you know, the nun. If it's, you know, there's a dust cloud, you see it in a dust cloud. That's kind of a unique almost insidious pardon the pun there since we're wah, tying that into it. one one but that kind anyway. of works but i just at the end of the day the other issue with the structure in this movie is it has two things going on and at first i thought they were trying to surprise us with this but clearly i was like they're not because they want us to know they're tying together so the reason frenchy comes back is he is now uh, not referred to as Frenchie. He's actually referred to as his real name, Maurice. So originally I was just like, is this the same actor playing a different character? But no. Um, he is now working at like, well, I assume is a Catholic. It is a Catholic school. Uh, he's living there. He's working as a janitor. Uh, and it seems that, you know, possibly there's another haunting. It's not really that much of a surprise to say it's valid because they pretty much are abundant with that. And then we also cut to... Taisa Formiga, who, you know, is at her own church, but is being asked to go there to maybe cleanse this spot. She befriends Storm Reed, and she ends up kind of just stowing away to go there. And you kind of cut back and forth until you meet up in the last act. But the problem here is, like, everything with Taisa Formiga does not work. 
as much as I love her, the flashbacks are very bland and boring and don't really add much. I, I don't think we, we already had enough of her character development. I think the first that we didn't need that. And it really just, I think undercut a lot of the tension. And I, I wonder if originally this wasn't going to be split this way, but again, I think they realized the first movie people complained about how slow it was. So they had to keep cutting back to, you know, the Catholic school where you have like little shits playing pranks on the, the young girl. So of course there's multiple instances where you see the nun possibly, you know, haunting and it's just this over and over and over again. And it almost works as a, haunted house type attraction film uh think i know you saw spookies last year which i'm a really big fan of and that is very much a a haunted house Mm -hmm. just throwing shit at the wall type deal uh even silent hill revelation which i'm actually a pretty big fan of that's the the sequel to the first silent hill that's that's kind of fun that has just a lot of crazy stuff thrown in there even to a lesser extent annabelle comes home feels like that in its last act so act so they're similar but much like annabelle comes home where i think they just started throwing too much too little too late here it's just it doesn't amount to too much and i still kind of just walked away going eh didn't hate it didn't really care for it all that much i'm probably not going to really think about it too too much i know that the the iconography or the look of valak is very intimidating and i think i mean that's one of the reasons i think that first one did so well opening at the box office and this one's still opening really well it's going to come down to a little bit lower because again you you scared off a lot of people not in a good way with the the quality (laughs) first but i don't know if you would have asked me when i came out of my screening on thursday i probably would have been nice and said "Eh, soft skip but they're outside of like a few set pieces, I think just a regular skip. And I think the other reason for that is I have to save that last act gets really bonkers. And that's as much as I'm going to say, Yay! but uh, <laughs> so there's some stuff in the spoiler section that uh, will probably play into why I think this is just more of a traditional skip as it were. Got it. Um, <clears throat> so spoiler free on the nun two, uh, Peter Safran, it's probably Saffron. I don't care. I'm saying Safran because I like to be fancy. But uh, Peter Safran has talked about how Bonnie Aarons has a unique geography, in quotes, is the word for her uh, a facial geography. And she does have a very distinct look. The nun itself is a very, you know, the character it has a very distinct and very menacing look. Um, we should probably mention that two weeks before this open, Bonnie Aaron sued <laughs> um, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery uh, over um, not getting profits from some of the merchandising because essentially it is her likeness. Yeah. So it's sort of funny that like she's suing them for profits, and I'm sure the company is going to be like, "You're not owed the profits and profits," and yet. Peter Safran has said a unique geography for mm-hmm. her face, which is going to be an interesting intellectual property argument. But nonetheless, um, I I remember before going into this that I had seen just really quickly, but didn't read people like on on X saying, I can't believe I just said X, fuck, um, Twitter saying, um, you know, Bonnie Aarons is such a presence. She's amazing. She, her care, her performance is all that great. I don't know what movie they saw, but quite honestly, you don't need Bonnie Aarons for this. Um, and I think this goes back a little bit to like the writer strike um, and the actor strike. I mean, for all I know, she could have just been AI'd into this because mm-hmm. there's you don't need her. There's 
she's not out of the makeup or anything. It's really just a CGI sort of creation. And so um, in much the same way that like, you know, uh, people act out for the avatars in video games, that's what it felt like here. So I think that's, it's weird to say Bonnie Aarons is the nun because she's not really doing anything. Yeah. She doesn't you know? have any like dialogue where if it was no. voiceover, it would work. And especially in this one, maybe in the first, I could possibly see it if recollection, but here a lot of the, the nuns actual screen presence is just, like you said, it's almost like CGI, just ghostly yeah. figure standing there, not her yeah. actual presence. So I, I think those um, people are more just taken aback by how great the, the character design of Valak is more than unfortunately bonding errands. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love horror fans, but sometimes they get a little hyperbolic in their love over things and then I'll see it. And then I'll be like, mm -hmm. this was some shit. Um, so yeah. now anyway. you know how it feels, Jose, when you're <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, but yeah. no, yes, so uh, we all can, but horror fans especially can get very, hyperbolic uh, there or it's just sometimes it's like have you not seen other poor movies or movies in general that have done this right <laughs> you know right so i i think it's a testament to how forgettable the first film is justin that you forgot that at the end of the nun as after they vanquished valak as frenchie is riding away he scratches his neck and you can see the the upside down cross as an infection That's, and so that yeah. was so that was the tag for this film. And so what's interesting is that, yes, unfortunately, The Nun 2 falls into a lot of the hoary, and I'm saying H-O-A-R-Y, not W-H-O-R-E-Y, or even H-O-R-R-O-R hyphen Y, um, tropes of horror films. And the, the beginning is just, it's all lead up especially if you have seen the first film or even if you love the first film i love the look of the the first film but when i rewatched it with scooter i was like this is some shit um it's just it's it's just not well written and they were going in my mind for the first film they were going for this sort of like hammer influenced hammer visual kind of thing for horror films um, but it just felt like a lot of padding for a character that didn't need a standalone movie. Um, now for this film, you know, it's weird. I think that this actually works if you haven't seen the first film, because we get all of the flashbacks and all of the explanations for the first film. And so if you're thinking to yourself, well, I have to see the, the first one to see this one, don't go and see this one. You might actually get more out of it than than Justin and I did, but it's just that whole waiting for the characters to catch up to what we know, which is Frenchie is possessed by Valak, and then there becomes the whole MacGuffin, like, you know, well, there's the MacGuffin of this relic, just like in the first film, there was a relic to vanquish Valak, there is a relic here, which is the MacGuffin, and then we find out why, in fact, Frenchie is at this school, et cetera, et cetera. And so while it is slow and there's a lot of tedious flashbacks, that bonkers ending, I guess, you know, to use a sports term, tennis, those tennis performers, <laughs> um, you know, uh, 
20 love it it worked for me and it, it i'm gonna this is gonna end up being a watch for me because of that bonkers ending and the only thing that i can liken this film to is it has the energy of the pope's exorcist which is it knows exactly what it is it knows what it's giving to the audience and although it might be slow for some people that that finale kicked it i mean i kicked it up i loved it i had a a blast with that finale i dug it um it, i would put it this film in the realm of the pope's exorcist so if you enjoyed that i think you will enjoy the nun too you just kind of have to sit through a bunch of tropes and a bunch of atmosphere but um and let me tell you mr nyby shot the fuck out of this movie um, so I'm just going to geek out a little bit. I couldn't tell if this was digital or film because it has a very beautiful filmic cinematography to it. And apparently this was shot on the Sony Venice, which is a high definition capture, um, camera. And they used a recorder. It's something like the AXR 67, which has something called X hyphen OCN which is the original camera negative recording. And what it does is, first of all, again, I'm geeking out. If you use this camera, you can film longer, almost 40% longer than any other kind of like recorder if you use the recorder with this camera. But what the XOCN software does is there's a raw format, R-A-W, which is how they do digital capture. But this is almost exactly similar to raw, but the best part of it is that it literally picks up on all of the tonal lights and and colors of the entire sensor. And so this is amazing. This film should basically be, hey, use the Sony Venice and use the XOCN software because, again, it looks like film. There is beautiful darks and lights and shafts of light and just the the look of it is is stellar it's incredible absolutely incredible and like i said i i turned to randy and i was like i don't know if this is film or digital and and that says i think says something about not only nyby's skill but just the camera itself um though so i do yeah, it's it's a it's a watch for me because i had a lot of fun with that finale okay even so if some of it was illogical so we'll get there and before we go to our spoiler section to tie, dive into that further. Um, I did think that this was shot very well, but in this, and that's actually nothing against Nyby, but did you like, I know you definitely like the look of this more than the first one, but as far as just atmosphere goes, did you prefer this approach to the Gothic? Because I think the Gothic resonated with me more in the first um, and I, it's funny because we're coming off of the Equalizer three, where we were complaining about how drab that they, you know, made Italy kind of look and yeah, yeah. knew the yeah. purpose where I think that purpose worked well of making everything look drab in the first nun movie. It didn't so much here, but I'm also wondering, and it was also an issue with the first one of as a lapsed Catholic, uh, anytime <laughs> we, we just, you know, we have to spend a lot of time just going over the minutia of, you know, the Catholic religion and its belief and spending times in a lot of these, you know, cathedrals and it can be boring, but as somebody who's also, I mean, when I went to Spain, visit a lot of these areas, like it, they have a power to them and not even religious, just structurally. So did you feel like that was captured in this film at all? I mean, I guess it's kind of hard because this Catholic school is not meant to be this big. Well, it kind of is. I think that's the problem. You have this big, like, 
you know, the, you know, church tower bell and that, but it kind of felt very, and I think it was intentional, but very small with how they kept everything kind of just in the tight same hallways. Uh, I don't know. I just, I I guess I looked, I liked the atmosphere more, I should say than look, but I liked the Gothic atmosphere of the first more than I liked the almost filmic, just kind of very pretty look of this film. I like the look of both films. The first film, I think I would, I would consider it less Gothic and more hammer, mm-hmm. you know, because there's like the thick fog and there's yeah. the shafts of light and then the overproduced sort of like production values and stuff. But here I thought it, the, the Gothic look of it, um, the production design is amazing. The fact that the school, you're right, looks like almost, I mean, it almost looks like it gave me like Suspiria vibes, but then also very much like, you know, churches and castles and the sort of like medieval, which just sort of reinforced the whole ancient evil stuff. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I took to the photography here more and the suspense elements and the way that they were captured. Um, and I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a better looking film. Um, part of where, uh, so just to dial it back a little bit, like, Yes, I am also a, a lapsed Catholic as well, but it doesn't stop me from enjoying, say, Constantine, which I think <laughs> I've mentioned before on other podcast episodes. So Constantine has this whole universe about, you know, the Christian mythology, but then also demonology and then all of this other stuff. And so I think where this film, like the Pope's Exorcist, kind of gets fun is they end up going to the the papal library library and there's a guy who just turns out to be this expert who knows all of this stuff and it's sort of like opening up this weird universe of like you know the secret vatican cabal of exorcisms and exorcists and like demonologists and i don't know i bought into it and i loved it i I think for me and it's more on the first one this one it more comes down to the fact that these movies are the, the religion is just kind of a backdrop. I know, and we'll get to in our spoiler section. Uh, I think Indie Wire wrote like, "Oh, it's like a Catholic superhero movie," which I don't, I don't think he was that no, mad with it. I, would, I didn't, I wouldn't I didn't get that, that vibe far. at all. But yeah. I think where it comes to like with Constantine, it works because it's not just about Catholicism or Christianity. It's about a bunch of stuff. But it's either you have fun and make it almost more supernatural, or you have to almost take it. Very in a mature way. I mean, I think of William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Religion plays a huge aspect, but it's about how religion defines, you know, the humanity and human spirit. Exorcist three, Peter Blatty even handled that better. It can just be very dry, I think. And in this case, it's just more of a gimmick. It feels like, um, yeah. So I'm they also treated just- it. They also treated in a very, very pat way, to use your mm-hmm. term. Yes. Um, and we'll we'll definitely get to that in the spoiler section. But yeah. Randy was sort of like, oh, I'm tired of the magic Christian movie, but like, I I didn't get that vibe. I think it just, it's period. The yeah. Catholicism is the only way to explain the spiritual stuff um, in some ways. And so, I don't know. I just kind of, yeah, I kind of went with it, but to me, it, the only reason it would even feel that way is just, it happens that the protagonist is a Catholic and there's faith in here, but yeah, there's the, you know, power, fit. but I don't know. We've seen enough and I didn't see the horror movie, but we've seen enough of these, christian produced you know movies that are very on the nose with their christianity like those are your super christians Uh, i haven't seen it but i think it was called nefarious that was a christian produced horror movie from this year that that i heard was very like which is i think what a lot of people are apparently 
logic against the nun too is i guess it was actually a nefarious where they basically always had that character of bible man appear to save the day um no or, i definitely i did i definitely I, didn't, I didn't get that but. i didn't feel that here again i just it, it just felt like rudimentary like it it would have been the exact same way if faith wasn't there it just happens that since this yeah. is a movie about religion they kind of had to bring up that hey obviously how are you going to defeat an, a, an evil nun you know basically yeah um, but I loved, but again, I, I love the look of the film. I love how it was shot. Tysa Farmiga, fantastic. I mean, her, she belts out some primal screams where I was just like, girl, I feel you. I just, she was great. She was, don't, I do want to ask because I, I liked her. Now, we pretty, I think, I think we could say we gushed over Storm Rain missing. We thought she was very powerful in that. What did you think of her in here? Because I thought she just got lost as a sidekick. I mean, I was doing. Oh, she, she, we'll talk about this more in the spoiler section, but there's a part of me that thinks that the Storm Reed character is a remnant of the Akila Cooper script mm-hmm. and they just kept it. And then they do a very pat Christian kind of thing. And it's the only overt um, Christian thing about the film uh, that I think is, is, um, problematic in some yeah. ways and maybe that's um, triggering the the catholic superhero thing that people are having yeah but um, um if i so uh one one other point and then we'll we'll segue to the spoiler section but like the the fun thing about the conjuring movies and especially the third which chavez had um directed is that they do reference some hallmark horror films and they kind of do it in some ways that aren't obvious and ways that are completely, completely obvious. So if you, so for example, the third, the third conjuring, the devil made me do it, very the shining, even down to some of the steady cam work and the chasing and stuff like that, um, with the serial killer or the the possessed guy and Amityville, of course. This film, I I saw Suspiria, the omen, poltergeist. I saw all these fun little like nods to other horror films. And I don't know, I think it just added to the sort of fun aspect of the film and it's, and it's visceral, it's sort of visceral horror sequences. I thought that they were more effective here than they were in the nun. I, I really did not like the first nun. I thought it was just super, super cheesy and, and kind of, kind of lame, but for sexy Frenchie and sexy Tysa Farmiga. But this one worked for me and it's it's a watch. Okay, yeah, it's it's a skip for me. Uh we'll we'll get into more of the reasons why in the spoiler section, but uh, it's just more of the same for the most part. It's definitely a slight improvement over the first, but I mean that's faint praise. Look, this yeah. is a great again, and I could even say the same thing about the first one, but this one more because they have so much going on every 10 minutes. We we said before about hey, sometimes you can have a movie on in the background at like a, a Halloween party or something, just because yeah. visually it's great. You know, this is a great screensaver, if you will, and take yeah. that as you will. But I, I do think it would work in that regards. But it's as an an actual movie that had to sit through, it's a skip. Yeah. And and I will say this: the cinematography for a horror film, especially something of this ilk, is very mm-hmm. ambitious. I'm just gonna say that. Like some of the angles, some of the moving camera work, uh, it's it belongs in a better movie because it's that incredible. Again. Nibi, I love you. I want to make out with you. You are a great cinematographer. I can't wait for more films. Um, anyway, okay, so we are going to segue into the spoiler section. 
Y'all are going to want to do five Hail Marys and the sign of the cross. If you have not seen the nun two, because we're set, heading into spoiler territory, grab your Bibles. Here we go in three, two, one. Um, yeah. So the storm Reed character, right? She basically, she's not even the sidekick. She just leaves the, the Abbey to go with her essentially, because she's like, there's nothing else to do. And I don't really believe in God. I was just stuck here because my family abandoned me and they thought, I liked this part of the script where she says, you know, the men serve the country and and work and the women just sort of like, you know, support or follow. And the, and she used that as a basis for how she got kicked over to this abbey in a foreign country, right? Rather than just being in Mississippi where she's from. But she comes in and there's a couple lines where she kind of says, I don't I don't believe in all this shit. And you should know that because she's smoking a cigarette and she's drawing the first time that they get up to her. And apparently she's like a rebel nun because she doesn't do what she's supposed to do. And she's like, I don't believe in all this stuff. That never comes up again until the end when she says, I just saw a miracle. So her whole big thing is, is like, until a miracle happens, I don't believe in the shit. And then the miracle happens and then they pray together one hand on the other, and then they vanquish Valak or whatever. And so that's the pat thing yeah. about the Christianity. And so, I mean, is it really the magic Christian? I don't know. It's more about a character character awakening to her spiritual awakening, and then it's a plot device to, which, to vanquish Valak. Yeah, which is where I think when people see a spiritual awakening to them, that's like a superpower type thing, even though it I don't, I mean, I think the issue here is the finale almost feels like something out of a superhero movie because once we get Valak in her form, she almost becomes this like giant beast. We also have the devil uh, looking very much like Krampus running around. And oh my is, God, that was fantastic. Uh, see, for me though, I loved it. My problem with that is it just came out of nowhere. It didn't really feel like it, it had much. And it's kind so, of like, so I thought that too. But it doesn't come out of nowhere because remember, Valak's evil influence while he is, while he or she, I guess we're going to say she. So that's the other thing I also wanted to say was they portray the demon as Valak and yet it's in the form of the nun. But anyway, so all of this to explain that Valak takes the form of your fears. And so the goat comes out because that was what the students were so scared of because they would do that game where they're looking at the... um the stained glass and there's the goat remember and then mm -hmm. they're doing that like he's watching you and you can't move and you can't look away which is an interesting nod to the first film because when they're praying in the first film the nun says to tysa farmiga no matter what happens don't stop praying don't look away and then you know this little child game that they do is when the goat is looking at you whatever happens don't look away don't get scared or whatever and so that's that's where the goat thing came from that's where you know, the um, the school mistress and then the cockroaches coming out of her mouth. That's why the the one bully girl gets grabbed by her. And then you see all the cockroaches because like poltergeist, it knows what scares you. And I dug that about it. I, so, I had so much fun with well, that. Well, the, the two issues I have with this is one, you had mentioned like there's a lot of nods. Well, in this case, when you're explaining that, it just makes me think obviously of Stephen King's It. And yeah, yeah that too. mainly just takes Pennywise. That's a better version of that. And I think the issue here for me is a lot of it is handled so pat and the dialogue 
is so generic that when this stuff is getting explained to you in like ex- almost like exposition dumps, it's kind of yeah. like if you're sitting in a, a class with a boring lecturer or you're sitting through a PowerPoint presentation, you tune out. And some of that is definitely on the viewer, but I, I put it on myself, but I put a lot of that also on the film of like, I just didn't think they did it in a compelling way for me to care. And it's easy to forget. That's why these, they come here. And ultimately it does just kind of feel, still feel like, well, here's our excuse to show stuff, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but similar to Annabelle comes home. It almost comes for me. It comes too little too late. And I also feel like that bonkers finale it still kind of feels somewhat rushed when we finally get there. Uh, I had talked uh, offline with somebody who does like Akila Cooper a lot and was disappointed to hear I wasn't a fan of this. And he said, I was hoping it would be bonkers. I'm like, I feel like part of that script is in the finale. Like I feel all that is Akila Cooper, which is funny because malignant also has that first hour is a lot less bonkers, but I kind of like the look of that one a bit more. Yeah, I just, very jalo. Yeah. I, I just, I think, this one, it just feels so almost like innocuous and ineffectual that even when you're explaining stuff, it, it really is just there so we can get a set piece. And I don't know. I honestly didn't think as far as bonkers finales go, I didn't think it was all that crazy. The only reason I'd say it's better than Annabelle comes home is while comes home has a more fun finale. The problem with that was they threw even more at the wall and they went really crazy. Like there's the, you know, the, the ghost samurai in that where it's like, all right, I needed some development or you make me, you're making me want to see this movie, but not in a, a good way in a bad way. Cause now I don't want to watch what I'm watching. And maybe to a yeah. degree that happens here, because once you, I mean, I do think once you, you throw, you throw the goat form, which is a, a version of the devil. That's why Krampus looks like that. Um, that is a more intimidating creature than valak then so once you have to go back to valak i'm like well we had something cooler over there i know it's still valak in general but yeah and that just well, never, i feel like that never really gets defined as well and honestly you make the same argument with stephen king's it because the form that pennywise always takes is of the clown so it's easy to forget that it's not actually a clown it's just everyone here seems to be afraid of a clown and that i think is yeah. the problem with this is whenever you do that you have some version that people latch on to and in the series it's the nun that it it's easy to forget once you switch over to another version and again all that stuff with the kids it almost felt like even though i know it didn't it felt like it was coming from a different movie because you kept coming going back and forth between the bland flashbacks with taisa formiga i don't know i just i didn't think the bonkers finale was enough to salvage this um and and it didn't feel like it almost belonged because even though you know we still have you know, wacky stuff happening, so to speak. It is arguably more grounded the first half of this movie and also the first movie in comparison to where we go at the bonkers. Cause like when they're fighting Valak and they're going praying, like Valak almost becomes like a giant, this nun. I'm like, this does kind of feel like maybe that's why people were saying superhero. I'm like, this does just feel like the finale to a DC or a Marvel movie at this yes. point, except we're just using the power of prayer instead of, you know, any superpower Superpowers. we have. So I think. I think what I'm, um, we call this parroting in um, psychology. So what I'm hearing from you, Red, is um, I've said it before in other films, you know, that finale, you know, it kind of feels like, by the way, I was looking over your shoulder because um, Shadow had been stretching. So I was making that weird face because he was like doing the cat stretch (laughs) thing. And then like, yeah, but um, he's possessed by Valak too. Our boss. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what I'm hearing from you is is a complaint I've lodged with other films, which is 
there's about 30 minutes of film here and they just stretched mm-hmm. it out, yeah. right? It's all built around that bunker sequence finale. Um, but I just, like I said, I, I don't know. There, there was a fun aspect to this that I, I kind of loved and, and that, that finale I dug now I'm probably giving the script more credit than it deserves, but I think the problem with the first film was that there's a lot of illogical lapses. Like it's supposed to be the nun, but then all of these weird supernatural things are happening. They're happening away from the castle. Demian Bashir, who I think is really sexy, he gets buried alive. And then there's this abbess. Is she the nun or is she possessed that shows up? There's all these other ghosts. So there's a lot in the first film that's just haphazardly thrown into the script and illogical. I thought that this was a little more focused, right? Yes, they went Star Wars with the finale because you've got Storm Reed and the girl, the bully girls and the rest of the girls. And then you've got um, Frenchie and Tysa Farmiga and the nun. But again, the reason why I think all of those sequences happen with Storm Reed and the, and the Krampus beast goat thing is because Valak is trying to basically hedge his own bets and keep them distracted so that they can't help Tiza. And I just, I don't know the imagery of, first of all, the fact that like, they totally telegraph the whole like wine into blood thing, because when they're talking about storm Reed is talking about her faith and she's like turning wine into blood. It never happened. Like I don't believe in Catholicism. And then the finale happens in a fucking winery with wine bottles. Like everybody should see that coming. But I have to tell you that when all the wine explodes and it's flying everywhere. I just dug it. It was so cool. It was bravo. Great imagery. I don't know. I had so much and fun you with this. complained about horror and fans being hyperbolic about. I, <laughs> I know, I know. But I also had to tell you that the beginning, uh, of course, again, the hoary like kicking the the basketball, the soccer, or whatever ball, and then it comes back or whatever. Great, I'm fine with that. But man, with that. When that priest levitates and like bursts into flames, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for a horror film. But unfortunately, after that, it's very, very slow. But still, I I liked it. I liked so my it. issue with that priest exploding outside of the fact that it's hard to make flames look good either. And maybe that's my other issue with possibly even the finale, even though they, I guess they telegraph it by having that, is it almost happens too quickly. Like there's no, like I know we're complaining about the movie being slow, but there's no real terror when he's just immediately set up in flames and it looks very CGI and then he's dead. Like it needs a little bit more of a creepy slow build towards him or lingering on the fact that this dude is flaming. I don't know. It just felt like a set piece. And I think that's the biggest issue I have here with these movies is they're kind of okay in the moment to a degree, but they don't last at all for me. Like, uh, you know, I struggled. Oh, it lasted for me. Uh, (laughs) It lasted for me. I'm telling, I'm telling you. And the writing, the writing in this, while it's no awesome shakes, it is, there is bad dialogue. It is kind of a bad script, but it is 150% better and more logical and more streamlined than the first nun. Which I would agree with, but it's, you know, faint praise. (laughs) 
Uh, you know, it's they're they're okay. They're perfect. They're they're good. You know, and this is gonna sound mean, and it's not meant to be mean. They're good starter horror movies. And I think if you're yeah, getting somebody who's they're getting into it, then this is where I think that these salvage because a lot of my other issues is, is a lot of it's just familiar. Been there, done that, which isn't always a bad thing. And sometimes that still works for me, especially if it's something like a slasher movie, uh, since that's somewhat of a sweet spot. But I did come away thinking, you know, when I really started getting into horror movies and just going to make you all feel old, but it was like early 2000s. So it was the Dark House, uh, was it Dark House or Dark Castle? Dark Castle Castle remakes of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. On a Hell and 13 Ghosts. God, you are old. Zemeckis and um, Joel Silver's outfit, Dark Castle. Yeah. Yeah, No, I meant, I'm I'm young. You're all old if that's, you know. Um, House on Haunted Hill, 13 Ghosts were great movies like gateway drugs as it were to horror films because like going back and watching them now they're still fun and they have a bit more energy than these two but they're you know since they're remakes and all that they're they're kind they're hitting a lot of familiar tropes when you're first getting into you know really getting into adult horror that's kind of fun because it's like dipping your toe into the water obviously you're gonna get to better stuff but and in those regard i think like i don't hate either the bump Maybe as time have gotten away, I think I'd probably like that first one even less. But again, it did better than Slender Man. Um, but they're just <laughs> it's kind of what did you feel about the post credit scene or the mid credit scene? Because so that- I was just about to ask you that. So let me let me set this up. I'll set this up for the friends and listeners. Basically, um, the MacGuffin is Valak is trying to get the eyes of Saint Lucy, who is a patron saint who had her eyes cut out. Um I, I guess because she was super faithful. I can't even remember. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Valak wants the eyes because if if he, the nun or she, gets the eyes, then they become all powerful, et cetera, et cetera. So once what we figure out is that in order for Valak to get the eyes, he has been murdering the descendants of Saint Lucy. So it's a little unclear. Again, bad, maybe bad writing, and and maybe giving. I gave more credit to the uh, screenwriters than I should have. Um, but they hinted at the fact that maybe Tysa Farmiga's character is related to Saint Lucy, which is why she is able to wield the eyes. And uh, again, in that great sequence where she's just screaming, Tysa Farmiga has some great fucking screams. She you know? does. She's a very good um, actress. Yeah, she's. I was when she was in pain, I, like I told you, I felt it. I was like, girl, go, girl, go. Maybe I'll have that as my ringtone, her scream. But um <clears throat> that sounds so, disturbing when you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it that much, man. Anyway, I think they're hinting that she's either related to St. Lucy or something like that. But in the post-credit sequence, they also claim potentially that the reason why Lorraine Warren has these psychic powers is she may be related to either. Tysapharmaga and or be part of the bloodline of St. Lucy. Well, it's one of those things when Tysa was cast in The Nun, everyone thought since it was a prequel, it was supposed to be a young- That was her mom. Or her, her mom grandma. or a young, yeah. or just she was a young Lorraine Warren at that point, just because they look, obviously they're related, but they very much look similar. So they do. Very weird. It's kind of like whenever they had- John and Joan Cusack in a movie like first point blank and they're working off of each other, but they don't like they're not related. I'm like, you two are clearly related. Like your brother, yeah, exactly. Like you can't like hide the fact that you're not related. So they kind of have to make her. But speaking I just, of facial geography, yes, uh, but <laughs> unique I think facial that, geography. 
But the reason I didn't like that post credit scene is it's just the problem of we needed a post credit scene. Like it, we we didn't need this. You've already hinted at it, and I believe Conjuring Two and probably Conjuring Three, the connection that Lorraine had. It is just the most. It, you, people make fun of like MCU and DCU. Sometimes it's just like, oh, and here's this character, you know, flip flam or whatever. Well, in this case, it's just, <laughs> in this case, it's just, you know, oh my God, there's a call and it's very urgent. And uh, Lorraine's like, how can we help? That's it. Like we didn't, that was it. it. It's, I know. it's so you know what? pointless. Like if we know, you know what that, I think would have, that we're going to have that showdown. No shit. We're going to get it. If anything, it just made these two done movies feel even less of a purpose because I'm like, we're going to just all somehow did this shit. And I know this is based on quote unquote, true stories, but one, all of these based on true stories, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to follow For real, real yeah. life. Inspired two, by red, the wording inspired is inspired by, by. inspired by and two. <laughs> Uh, I know we said we're going to avoid it, but there's definitely the argument that the Warrens in real life were shysters. So if they were, then you can uh, shyst all you want in the movies and just make shit up if you want. So you can, uh, even if this was ba- you know inspired by and this was how the actual timelines worked, we could have just salvaged just not having to watch these two movies. And we could have just somehow tied it all together where it all happens in real time instead of, you know, in modern time instead of. Here's the prequel and it's going to come back. Who gives a shit? Like you just made me feel like, why did I watch this movie? So I'm with you there. The tag. So three things I want to mention about the tag before, but before I do that, I'm going to say, I did not like the tag either. It just, so one, I think it would have been even better if they were like, we have a call. How can we help? And then Howard, the duck comes in and he's like, (laughs) oh, I can help you. Uh, there's uh. this, there's an infinity stone we can use now. I, I, so, um, and then two, we already had the scene where I can't remember if it was Tice's character or somebody else, but they open the door and you see the wallpaper and the hallway mm-hmm. from the, from the Warren's house. And so that's, and the flashbacks that's already been connected. You're right. That tag scene was completely useless and unnecessary. And then my third point, it felt desperate. It felt Here's how we're going to connect it. And mm-hmm. I think it, it for me, it undercut the fun of the film from that finale and the fun of everything else. And I don't know, it, I guess it almost, it almost made me go, now it's a skip because you fucked me with that stupid tag. But it's still, a, it's still a watch because I had a lot of fun with it. But yeah, there's, that was completely unnecessary and totally lame. Do you know why I feel it exists? Is sometimes I'll have people message me, hey, is there a post-credit scene in this movie? Because, you know, I sometimes I'll try to do like you do and, you know, stick around, watch the credits. But even if I don't, I've seen the movie, so I can just look it up and be like, oh, no, there's not without getting spoiled because I've already seen the movie. But I feel like, and Scream 6 made the joke about this and with their post-credit scene, every movie now needs to have this. And people get upset if you either don't have it or if you do like Spider-Man Homecoming, which I loved, where you have Captain America coming on in the, the PSA being like, don't you hate it when you wait around for something? And it just doesn't happen. I thought that was yes. hilarious. What, the friend I saw it with hated it because it was like, well, why did I sit through all this? And I'm like, first off, we didn't waste that much time sitting through credits. We talked about the movie until you're giving credit where credit's due to the people. It's not like you're going to do that much more with your life to to waste five to 10 minutes, if that watching credits, but are people going to be happy that just because there is a post credit scene, like, but if they didn't have that and they just ended, would 
those same people have been like, I can't believe there wasn't a post-credit scene. I know. I know. And you can't please people. You can't, you can't please, please people. And at that point, it just felt like this was a requisite. And we just had to have one. And, and you don't have to, folks. Like, a movie can just end, and then you- It can just it, end. I don't know. It just felt like desperate is well, the it's best just, word to say. Yeah, desperate is totally, perfect. totally desperate. Like, come back from my other movie. Come back you know? from my other movie. And it also kind of felt like- we know you didn't like the first Nun movie, and there's a possibility you didn't like this. Somebody told me they actually walked out of the, this movie, which I didn't care for what? either of these, but not to the point where I would have walked out. But but it was almost like, hey, even if you didn't like this one, and we know you didn't like the first one, we know you like the other, the mainline Conjuring movie. So guess what? This character is going to yeah. come back in an actual Conjuring So we're going to hook you. So and stupid. So stupid. And I'm just, just this idea of connected universes, like I... The, I'm tired of you, it. There would be there would be no need to try to connect them. Have a spinoff. That's fine. But just stop banging it over our heads, you know? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Because, I mean, like, at least with sequels in the past, like, you connected your Freddies, your Jasons, your Frankenstein song. You connected in the sequel itself. So you might have did it like yeah. the sequel Hulk, which honestly wasn't even a sequel Hulk. Horror movies always notoriously just had unhappy endings. Like, oh, you thought it was a happy ending and it's not, you know? Right. Um. One, I blame Marvel and this whole idea Definitely. of shared shared universes are things that are going to hook consumers and have them coming back. Well, right now, we hate the shared universe concept, and we just say end it. And then two, I blame Ferris Bueller's Day Off, because I think that was the first film that had, in my mind, at least when I was growing up watching movies, that had a post-credit sequence that was actually kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think people were like, Ooh, let's do it like Ferris Bueller and add some kind of like tag. But, but you know what though? I wouldn't even blame Ferris Bueller because most movies didn't do that up until Marvel. And I, again, I'm a defender of the MCU, but there are some unfortunate side effects to it. And that yes. being, you know, at least with Ferris Bueller and if any other movie did it, um, it was just as a gag. So you didn't have to sit through, like, it was just like an Easter egg. Right. It right. wasn't something that was crucial. With with MC, the MCU has made it as part of it. Like it, it's the the post credit scenes and all these stingers are just as crucial, if not more so, to next. And the issue, like we had here, is it's not letting things simmer. You have yeah. to be building. So when you get something, and the only time people didn't uh, blast it was obviously, I think people were like, "Yeah, that end game, we're not going to get something," because then it's like, and that's why they didn't do it with end game. Is like you need to actually let the event stop. It's weird to end a movie and then be like, "Oh, but wait, there's more," because and it almost makes you feel like well what i just watched didn't matter let me uh, i know fast x yes fast X. well fast x didn't even have an ending at least these movies usually have conclusions but yes. it's you know that's just that that's the biggest issue is there's no we don't feel there's any comfort in knowing that this movie has a resolution we know there's yeah. probably going to be more and we'll get there when we get there you know you don't need to pretty much undo everything by being like oh but wait it didn't actually happen or you know i don't know it's just i'm rambling at this point i i don't have so much superhero fatigue but i clearly clearly have shared universe fatigue really quickly one last thing and then we'll go to final verdicts what did you think of the um raiders of the lost ark light shining through the goat stained glass eye and then showing where where the relic was yeah i mean it looked fine (laughs) it was produced well but again it either made me want to watch raiders of the lost ark or better actually it was funny i watched river of death the night after this which was a canon release and that's an adventure movie that even though based on a novel clearly exists because of the popularity of indiana jones in the 80s yeah um 
even though it's more jungle holocausty kind of but anyway but I, I digress but you know um, what i thought what it I made thought me either want to do that or play a video game where that is a thing you know it didn't yeah. make me give a shit about what was happening in this movie it looked fine. I it think, looked well. I thought the the red lighting and everything through the it shot and framed very well. These movies uh, are always great technical achievements. I will give them that. Well, except except for one thing in that scene. So when the light shines through, right? Uh, Tysa Farmiga is is putting her hand on like the red light, and they're just standing there. And I literally yelled out. Bitch, move your hand because it's going to show you where the relic is. <laughs> and then finally it ends up on the floor and they're like, oh, I think it's there. And then they start pulling up. Oh, man, that was dumb. It would have been funnier if it wasn't there and it just turns out like, oh, we didn't have like Valak and then we didn't have this big plan. It's just it's over there. You know, it's well, OK, so listen, here's yet another. Re- here's yet another reason why um, I'm probably giving the writers more credit than they are. Um, than they deserve. So that bell tower, I think, was like a closed church or a closed place of worship or whatever. But when I first saw the stained glass with the goat in it, you don't often see horned goats in stained glass representations. Mm -hmm. So that should have been a signal to everybody that that shouldn't be there. That ghost, that goat shouldn't really be there. But But yeah, because tip like as as shown. Uh, through the child sphere that was usually could be more representative of evil and the devil yeah, and, and versus devil horns versus and all that. And so, but I'm just saying it's a, it's a tip off. It's yeah, it's in the wrong place. So there should be some significance or that just could be screenwriting one Oh one. And this yeah. is where we are now, but yeah. anyway, all right. Final verdicts for yeah, me. It's a-, it's a watch. I think, I think I now have at least a double bill, the Pope's exorcist and the nun too. Um, I'm sure there's another fun, stupid horror film I could add on to there. But anyway, yeah, it's a watch for me. It, it's a skip for me. It's it's just what it is. It's it's there. That I guess yeah. the bonkers finale is kind of fun, but then you could just wait for streaming when it hits HBO Max and skip to the last 30 minutes. Got it. <laughs> okay, so if we did get this wrong, although I don't think we did, <laughs> I'm probably the outlier in my uh enthusiastic cheerleading opinion although maybe not so enthusiastic i will say though total cinnaboner over the um cinema cinematography and this mm-hmm. tristan this tristan nyby guy i, I want to have his babies tristan nyby i want to have your babies um, I, I think tristan nyby is the watch not the movie <laughs> yeah i mean just the uh i was uh yeah, I was I was creaming my popcorn over this cinematography. It's it's it was beautiful, beautiful. Some of the sequences just ah. You didn't I share that it. popcorn with Randy, did you? Did you give him? Four I did more? not, but I shared it with Scooter. Okay. Oh, well, that's what well, I mean. That's what marriage is all about: is sharing your creamy popcorn. Oh, all right. So, since we've earned our explicit rating on this episode, <laughs> I will say that you can reach out to us if we did get this wrong. Um, you can reach out on any of our social media. We have Instagram presence, Facebook presence, Twitter, Twitter X press, whatever you want to call it now. Elon Musk presence we have. You can also write us at watch skip plus spell out all the words at gmail.com. No punctuation. Um, and if you love us, you will certainly love our pod fathers, the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, who we have referenced. That's with Will, Big Will and Samurai, Sammy, not a bomb with Tori and Brad, Brad, Brad. Brad, who we also mentioned as well. And then the OGs, the Night of the Living podcast. I feel like we mentioned them too. So, yeah, uh, Hawking Hills, love, baby. 
I know. If you love us, you'll also love Death by DVD, who we also mentioned. Kevin with the Raiders of the Podcast, who we also mentioned on this show. And then Backlog Cinema Podcast, VHS Files, Silva and Gold, Holt and Muscle, Feminine Critique, Married with Clickers, and of course, Daniel and David over the Wild Dream Podcast, who did we mention them on this? I don't think so. But I don't anyway. I didn't think we'd get to reference them, but we are now. We did not. We are now. And I did comment on um their last two Instagram posts, which are hysterical. So please go on their Instagram and check it out. All right, Red. Well, we hope we make you cream your popcorn. You never skip. You always listen and you remember that you are the plus. I actually made it through that without laughing. I'm like the Megan thing. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> Me- May you have many Cinnaboners, friends and listeners. (laughs) (laughs) May may your Cinnaboners always remain erect. May you go enjoy a Cinnabon while you have a Cinnaboner. I don't know. And cream your popcorn. Oh, boy. Hey, you want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and and I can't look away. I need these things! I need these things! Conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop it! 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 Stop it!